Welcome to the reading of the Sioux City Journal for Thursday, January 11th. I'm Dagna, your reader today. We'll start with the Siouxland's five-day weather forecast. Today is going to be colder with a bit of afternoon snow. Uh, with There's a high today of 12 and a low tonight of 5. Friday is going to be cloudy, windy, and cold with a high of 8 and a low of minus 3. Saturday is going to be frigid with a little bit of morning snow with a high of minus 1 and a low of minus 17. Sunday will be brisk and bitterly cold with a high of minus 8 and a low of minus 15. And Monday is also brisk and very cold with a high of minus 1 and a low of minus 18. So our first lead article is how the caucuses work, what to expect if you turn out in Iowa on Monday. And this is put together by Jared McNett, a Sioux City Journal reporter. After all of the campaign stops, debates, and reshufflings of the calendar, the Iowa caucuses will finally happen at 7 p.m. Monday. This year, caucusing will be markedly different for Iowa Democratic and Republican Party faithful, and not solely because one will have a far more competitive field. So, to help residents get ready, the journal decided to run through some of the finer points of caucus going in 2024. First, who can caucus and what to bring? Caucusing is open to anyone who is eligible to vote in Iowa. Residents under the age of 18 can participate as long as they are 18 by November 5th, which is the date of the general election. The Democratic and Republican parties of Iowa require caucusers to be registered with their respective parties. Residents can register on caucus night or change their registration from one party to another. Those who are listed as third party or independent have to declare and register with a party in order to participate. Those who plan on showing up should bring a valid ID such as driver's license, U.S. passport, or voter identification card. Those intending to register on caucus night should arrive with a proof of residency, a recent utility bill, or a paycheck. What can Republicans expect? Iowa Republicans will gather in schools, community centers, city halls, and all sorts of other venues to hold a binding vote for the GOP presidential nominee and elect delegates to attend county conventions. Once at their designated precinct site, caucus attendees will hear speeches on behalf of the 2024 Republican presidential candidates and then vote. Voting is done via secret ballot, and there isn't a set list of candidates. Unlike what the Democratic Party opted for from 1972 to 2020, there will not be any walking around a precinct room to establish preference groups. Republican presidential candidates include Texas Pastor Ryan Binkley, former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, former UN Ambassador Nikki Haley, former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson, Ohio businessman Vivek Ramaswamy, and former President Donald Trump. To figure out where to go, caucuses are asked to visit the website iowagop.org slash 2024caucus and search Find the Caucus Location for your precinct. For Woodbury County, there is a total of 44 caucus precincts. Caucus locations in Sioux City include Bryant Elementary School, East Middle School, Leeds Elementary School, Morningside Assembly of God Church, North Middle School, Perry Creek Elementary School, 
West High School, and the Western Iowa Technical Community College. Suzanne Stewart, a member of the Woodbury County Republican Central Committee, noted the Secretary of State's website does not list specific rooms on the WIT campus where different precincts will meet. Sioux City voters in the general Whispering Creek area, which is Precinct 28, will need to know they are to go to the Cargill Auditorium to caucus. The Cargill Auditorium is accessed via parking lot 4, entrance 14, Stewart noted. Voters in several other Morningside area precincts, Precinct 16, 21 through 24, 26, and 27, will caucus as they have typically before in the Rockland Conference Center. The Rockland Conference Center uh, is accessed via parking lots 2 or 3 and entrances 6 or 10. The Iowa Republican Party's county conventions happen on February 17th. District conventions take place April 6th, and the state convention comes May 4th. The Republican National Convention, where the National Party will formally nominate its candidate for president, is set to begin July 15th in Milwaukee. Then what can the Democratic Party expect? Following the 2020 Iowa caucuses, which were marred by a litany of problems, the Democratic Party completed, completely overhauled its schedule. In February of 2023, the Democratic National Committee moved to make South Carolina the first state on the presidential primary calendar on February 3, 2024, with New Hampshire and Nevada following three days later. However, New Hampshire decided to hold a primary on January 23, 2024, in order to maintain its first primary in the country status. In Iowa, Democrats will caucus the same day as Republicans, but caucus goers will not vote or give a presidential preference for the November election. Those decisions will be made through a mail-in voting process, which begins Friday and wraps on March 5th. The last day to request a presidential preference card is February 19th. Requests can be made by going to iowademocrats.org slash caucus. When Iowa Democrats go to their caucus precincts, they will be selecting delegates to represent them at county-level conventions in March, electing county central committee members, and discussing platform resolutions. District conventions are May 4th, and the state convention is set for June 15th. The Democratic National Convention will be held in Chicago on August 19th. Per the Iowa Democratic Party, only registered Iowa Democrats who are eligible to vote in the November 5, 2024 election may participate in our caucuses. Iowans must be registered as a Democrat by February 19, 2024. Within Sioux City, the Iowa Democratic Party caucus locations will be at West, West Middle School at 3301 West 19th Street and North Middle School Library Media Center at 2101 Alder Drive North. A further list of all precinct, caucus precinct sites for Northwest Iowa can be found by going to the caucus page of the Iowa Democrats website and clicking on Find Your In-Person Caucus Precinct Location Here. Sitting President Joe Biden, Minnesota Representative Dean Phillips, who is related to Pauline Phillips, also known as Dear Abby, and author Marianne Williamson have declared for the Democratic field. And then how will the weather be? Statewide, this year's caucuses are forecast to see record-breaking cold. For Sioux City, the National Weather Service Sioux Falls office is projecting a low of minus 11 degrees Fahrenheit with partly cloudy skies. The single-day record-breaking snowfalls on January 8th and January 9th forced multiple GOP candidates to reschedule campaign stops or cancel them outright. 
Donald Trump's campaign canceled events featuring surrogates such as former Arkansas Governor Mike Huckabee and current Arkansas Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Mike Huckabee, who defeated eventual nominee John McCain in the 2008 Iowa caucuses, said the expected snowstorm grounded their plane. Ohio businessman Vivek Ramaswamy said his car got stuck in a ditch Monday night while driving in snowy weather from northwest Iowa to Des Moines. Monday, Ramaswamy stopped in Lamar's, Orange City, Primgar, and Sioux City. Five of us tried to push the SUV out. Finally got it done with extra help from a good Iowan, he tweeted. Our next story is a headline, Man Killed by Police Monday. And this was written by Dolly Butts of the Sioux City Journal. Court documents show a man who was shot and killed by Sioux City Police Monday previously threatened officers with a gun. Salvador Perez Garcia of Sioux City was arrested by Sioux City Police officers on October 25, 2022 and charged with intimidation with a dangerous weapon, a Class D felony, according to a criminal complaint filed in Woodbury County District Court. He pleaded guilty in a plea agreement to second-degree harassment, a serious misdemeanor, and sentenced to 40 days in the Woodbury County Jail. Daryl Simmons, special agent in charge of the Iowa Division of Criminal Investigation, or DCI, confirmed Wednesday that the Salvador Perez Garcia, who was killed by officers Monday, was the same man who pleaded guilty to a lesser charge in connection with the October 2022 incident. Perez Garcia was shot and killed by police officers in Hard Rock Hotel and Casino's parking ramp after ramming two patrol vehicles with a truck and swinging a metal object, according to the DCI. In a statement released Tuesday about the shooting, the DCI listed Perez Garcia as being 55. He was actually 56, according to court documents. At 6.37 p.m. on October 25, 2022, officers were dispatched to a multifamily apartment house in the 1300 block of Jackson Street for a report of a fire. Perez Garcia called 911, even though there wasn't a fire, to get people to the building, according to the complaint. The defendant then proceeded to pull a gun out of his waistband of his pants in front of officers on the scene, the complaint stated. Officers took cover and called for backup. Since Perez Garcia spoke Spanish, a Spanish-speaking officer was called to speak with him, according to the complaint. Perez Garcia refused to come out of the residence for over an hour and told police if he came out of the residence, he would come out shooting, the complaint stated. Perez Garcia did eventually follow officers' orders to come out of the apartment house and was detained. No shots were fired during that incident, according to the complaint. At 4 a.m. on Monday this week, a Sioux City patrol officer was parked inside the casino's parking garage when he observed a white truck driving toward him. The truck rammed his patrol vehicle head-on, according to the DCI statement. The lone subject in the truck continued to exit the parking garage and was met with other responding officers. He drove directly at a second Sioux City patrol vehicle, ramming it head-on. Then Perez Garcia exited the truck, swinging the length of a chain with a metal object. The statement said officers attempted to de-escalate the situation and physically attempted to disarm Perez Garcia, but were unsuccessful. Perez Garcia refused to comply with the officers' commands and continued to approach them swinging the object. Officers fired their duty weapons, striking him. The officers then performed life-saving measures, but Perez Garcia died at the scene, the statement said. 
The Sioux City police officers who were involved have been placed on critical incident leave. Their names are not being released at this time. The Iowa Division of Criminal Investigation is investigating the shooting. Upon completion of the investigation, the report will be submitted to the Woodbury County Attorney's Office and the Iowa Attorney General's Office for review, the DCI statement said. Sioux City Police Chief Rex Muller said in a statement Tuesday that one officer sought medical treatment for injuries sustained when Perez Garcia rammed his patrol car. The officer was treated and released. Mueller said his department will be conducting a parallel internal investigation to the DCI to determine if department policies were violated. He said the department will release further information at the conclusion of the investigation. Sioux City Man Sentenced for Meth Possession a Sioux City man was sentenced Thursday to 17 years in federal prison for meth possession. Thomas Powell, 36, pleaded guilty in May in U.S. District Court in Sioux City to possession with intent to distribute meth after having been previously convicted of a felony drug offense. Among other conventions, convictions. Powell was convicted in federal court in 2010 of conspiracy to manufacture meth. According to the U.S. Attorney's Office, Powell was found in possession of more than 90 grams of meth that he intended to sell on November 13, 2022 in Sac County. After completing his prison sentence, Powell will be on supervised release for 10 years. There is no parole in the federal system. Threat made against Lawton, Lawton Bronson School District. The Woodbury County Sheriff's Office is investigating a social media threat made against the Lawton Bronson Community School District. The Lawton Bronson District sent a notification to parents Monday night, alerting them to the threat. The alert said there was a post made on Snapchat showing a person with a gun saying, Lawton is next. The Sheriff's Department has been working diligently to locate the source of the threat, said Superintendent Chad Shook in the alert. They believe that the picture came from Pinterest. Shook said school would be canceled both due to the weather and the uncertainty of the threat on Tuesday. He said he would provide parents with more information in the future. Sioux City Firefighters Battle House Fire Fire de destroyed a home on Sioux City's west side Wednesday. Sioux City Fire Rescue was dispatched to 2811 Myrtle Street at 1015 a.m. to a two-story single-family home. Upon Firefighters' arrival, flames were visible through the windows on two sides of the house, Deputy Fire Marshal Lieutenant John Nelson said. Five people were inside the house when the fire started, and they had safely evacuated by the time firefighters arrived. A dog died in the fire. Firefighters entered the house, but later had to exit when it became structurally unstable, turning to defensive operations from the outside and calling in two aerial trucks. Firefighters remained at the scene in the afternoon, putting out hot spots. Nelson said the house has been red-tagged, utilities have been disconnected, and it will be a total loss. The American Red Cross is assisting the family. The cause of the fire is still under investigation. Our next uh, headline is Collective Voices, a Powerful Message. Sioux City's MLK Day celebration changed to Sunday due to caucuses. A cold wind may have been blowing outside of First Congregational United Church of Christ at 4600 Hamilton Boulevard, but Sandra Pearson was making sure that the MLK Community Gospel Choir was radiating plenty of heat while rehearsing a spirited rendition of It Will Be, it will be Better. Let's do it one more time, people, Pearson, a veteran 
church music director said, as the citywide choir sang the popular Stephen Daniels written spiritual, let's do it one more time. After all, the Sioux City NAACP annual Martin Luther King Jr. birthday celebration was coming earlier than normal. For the very first time, Pearson said the event will take place the day before the recognized Martin Luther King Day national holiday. When Governor Kim Reynolds declared Monday, January 15th would be the night of the Iowa caucuses, we had to readjust our schedule, she said. That's why Sioux City's MLK party will take place at 6 p.m. Sunday, January 14th, at First Congregational United Church of Christ. Pearson did not mind the rescheduling. The Iowa caucuses are very important, she said. If you want to participate, you should be able to participate. To be fair, Pearson and her MLK Community Gospel Choir are pros when it comes to honoring the life and legacy of Martin Luther King Jr. This is one of my favorite times of the year, Pearson said. The celebration is meant to bring the entire community together. The theme will be Living the Dream. It starts with me. Spread hope, courage, and unity. With a keynote speech delivered by the Honorable Robert Tiefenhaller, the first black judge for Iowa's 3rd Judicial District. Also slated to speak will be Trayla Lee, a newly elected Sioux City Community School District Board member and vice president, as well as Ike Rayford, the president of Sioux City's chapter of the NAACP, who will give King's impassioned I've Been to the Mountaintop speech. Pearson, a longtime Sioux City Community School District employee, is also pleased that three high school students, representing the East, North, and West, will read their own essays on how they are living their dreams. She explained, it is so important that young people learn and take Dr. King's words to heart. The movement isn't over, and there remains so much work left to be done. Indeed, Pearson is quick to point out that King's message remains as timely today as ever before. We are so polarizing these days, she said. Dr. King's message was one of peace, unity, and bringing people together. More significantly, King's message transcends race, religion, and national origin. People think the civil rights movement is strictly a black and white thing. It is so much bigger than that. Civil rights should matter to everybody. As the MLK Community Choir prepared to rehearse, I sing praise to your name, Pearson said with a smile. If we all speak out in one collective voice, our message will be more powerful. And if you want to go, it is the um, Martin Luther King Jr. celebration sponsored by the Sioux City chapter of the NAACP. It is going to be Sunday at 6 p.m. at the First Congregational United Church of Christ at 4600 Hamilton Boulevard. We'll now move to an entertainment story about a um, com comedian that's going to be in Sioux City on Friday night. So it's called Joe Gatto's Night of Comedy with Impractical Jokers Joe Gatto. And it's going to be 7 p.m. on Friday at the Orpheum Theater at 528 Pierce Street. During his decade as a cast member on the Hidden Camera TV comedy series Impractical Jokers, Joe Gatto has been everything from a genie, a mermaid, and even a stunt dumpster diver. The prolific prankster is now trying his hand in a new role as a stand-up comic with Joe Gatto's Night of Comedy at 7 p.m. Friday at the Orpheum Theater. Already an improvisational veteran following years with the Tenderloin, a comedy troupe founded with his fellow Impractical Joker's castmates, Sal Volcano, Brian Quinn, and James Murray, 
The 47-year-old Gatto admitted making the transition to stand-up was a challenging one. He said, in some respects, I was lucky. While people recognized me from the 300 episodes of Impractical Jokers that I appeared in, they knew me and myself. I never played a character because I was always just Joe. In his new role as a stand-up comedian, Gatto will also be just Joe. However, he will replace the over-the-top stunts with stories about his wife and kids were surviving as a middle-aged dad in his native Long Island. I'm a storyteller, he said. I don't have to do crazy stunts to get a laugh. Gatto was ready to make this transition following his 2021 departure from Impractical Jokers. I needed to take time out to work on my marriage, he said. Two years later, Gatto and his wife Bessie have reconciled, and they continue to raise their daughter Milana and son Remington in their Glenhead, Long Island home. My impractical joker schedule took me away from my family too often, he said. With my stand-up show, I'll be working weekends, but I'll be home with my kids during the work week. Gatto's less hectic itinerary also allows him to work on the behalf of causes he believes in. This includes his involvement in several anti-bullying organizations, as well as the nonprofit Gatto Pups and Friends, which advocates for the Adopt, Don't Shop movement, facilitating adoptions for senior or disabled dogs. He even has time to do a popular iHeartRadio podcast called Two Cool Moms with fellow comedian Steve Byrne. Steve grew up with a cool mom, and my mom is very crazy, very Italian, and very cool, Gattle said. Together, Steve and I dispense all of the wisdom our moms have shared with us. Okay, now that he's mentioned it, what's the best advice Gattle's mom ever gave him? That's an easy one, he said. Mom told me to surround myself with quality people. Sal, Brian, and Mur. Murray weren't just my impractical jokers friends. Our friendship goes all the way back to the days when we were classmates at Farrell High School in Staten Island more than 30 years ago. You don't remain close to people like that for so long if they weren't quality, Gatto added. With that in mind, would Gatto ever consider a return to impractical jokers? Of course, I'll never say never, though I'm very happy doing stand-up right now. We'll now move to the weekly column by Kathy Yolder, who is a devotional writer, and she may be reached at her email, kathyyolder4 at gmail.com. And she writes today, Since I am an early riser, I often see the sunrise. One morning recently in my new home, as I'm walking down the stairs, I pause on the landing to look out the big window. I see the brilliant colors of the sun peeking above the horizon, but I can't see them well. It's like I'm seeing the echo of the image, not the image itself. An echo is never as good as the original. It loses some of its authenticity and many of the subtle nuances. The problem is that either the double window is too tall or I'm too short. It's most likely the latter. It usually is. I stand on my tippy toes to get a better view of the beautiful light. As I rise up in height, I see it more clearly. The golden orange light with a slice of pink is breaking through the horizon in such splendor, I almost expect to hear trumpets sounding a joyous fanfare upon its arrival. From this tippy-toe perspective, I see something else for just a moment. A moment that lasts as long as my toes are tipped up. I see the light more clearly and more completely, like hearing a voice in full volume and not a mere echo. I see something special in the light, a cross. I realize that I've never seen a light quite like this before in any of the countless sunrises I have observed. 
I've seen plenty of sunrises and sunsets. My two favorite times of the day are when the sun is just waking up and that period of time right before the sun disappears. Both have the most beautiful light of the day. The welcome, chipper greeting of the rising sun seems to say, Good morning, wake up, I'm up, why aren't you? And twilight, that special in-between time that is no longer day, but not quite night. Twilight has perhaps the most precious light of all. It shines the brightest and sometimes with the most amazing colors right before it disappears into darkness. During times of great privilege, I've seen the same in people. Not expected to live on this earth much longer, they sometimes rally. They they suddenly are awake, in good spirits, and more themselves than they've been for a long time. So good, in fact, it's easy to think that they're making a full recovery. But that's usually not the case. No, they're shining brightest before they say goodnight or until we meet again. It's almost as if they're standing on the tippy-toes of time. They can't stand that way for long, but while they do, they gain a whole new perspective. In the twilight of their lives, they see everything more clearly. No one I know has ever talked about their bank balance, or their car, or their success, or even their home. No, they want the people they love with them. They want to make sure their loved ones know that they truly love them. Sometimes they attempt to bring people who have drifted apart back together. They must realize something that we who are not in the end stages of life forget. Life on this earth is short. It's silly to waste time on the unimportant, like holding grudges and nursing bitterness. Bitterness only produces more bitterness. Bitterness ruins everything and everyone it touches. And if you're pulled down into the hole of bitterness, it's impossible to stand on your tippy toes and see the beauty that's all around you. All you see is dirt. No light shines through the darkness. The person in the twilight of life who is rallying may even realize that they love more than they thought possible. It's as if during life they've been looking through a dirt-encrusted window, but suddenly that window is sparkling clean and they see the clearest they've ever seen on this earth. But if they are a believer, they will soon see more than any of us can imagine. In 1 Corinthians 13:12, Apostle Paul tells us what it will be like when we see Jesus face to face. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we shall see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. Those in the twilight of life shine brighter, knowing that their light is almost gone. If you have the privilege to witness this, it will change you. I know it has changed me. The light of life in its twilight shines fiercely. Seeing the light changes us, but knowing that there is a cross in that light makes all the difference. One day, when I see my Lord in heaven, I don't think that I'll have to stand on my tippy toes to see him face to face. He has already stooped down to my level by coming to earth to save us sinners from the darkness of sin. The light I saw out of the second-story window as the sun was rising reminds me that Jesus died for me and lives for all believers. I saw something special in the light, a cross. I can't stand on my tippy-toes for a long time, but just knowing that the cross is there makes all the difference in this life and the next. And this again was written by Kathy Yoder, who is a devotional writer. The Annual Collection for the Carmelite Nuns 
A special collection is taken up annually at the Masses in the eight Sioux City Parishes Worship Centers to help purchase groceries and household items for the Carmelite nuns of Sioux City. The dates for the 2024 collection are the weekends of January 20 and 21st. While this upcoming collection is for the Sioux City Parishes, hundreds of individuals and families from the diocese and throughout the country help support the sisters. Two areas of involvement include membership in the Carmel Guild and the Carmelite Peace Cards. Donations can also be sent to the Carmelite nuns at the address below. In that, I'll read that later uh, in a few minutes. Membership in the Carmel Guild is open to any individual or family who makes an enrollment offering of $2 for an individual or $5 for a family. Enrolled members receive a Mass offered for them monthly, share in all the prayers of the Liturgy of the Hours each day, are remembered in 36 Novena masses each year and in case of death are remembered in prayers for the dead for one year. Peace cards may be purchased for 25 cents each and given to anyone in need of prayers during times of sorrow or celebration. The peace cards contain a prayer intention card that is filled out and returned to the Carmelite Monastery with an optional donation for prayer for members of the individual or family. Peace cards are available at each church. For more information about the Carmelite nuns, the guild membership, or peace cards, visit the website at SiouxCityCarmel.org or contact the sisters at 2901 South Cecilia Street, Sioux City, 51106, or a parish representative of any Sioux City Catholic parish. And then the vehicle raffle. The Catholic Diocese of Sioux City is launching a diocese-wide vehicle raffle in an effort to raise funds for the Catholic schools spread throughout Northwest Iowa. The $100 tickets are now on sale for the chance to win a $50,000 vehicle voucher. A minimum of 2,500 tickets will be sold between now and January 24th, with the winner drawn uh, live on February 2nd on the Diocese of Sioux City Facebook page. February 2nd also concludes National Catholic Schools Week observances. Proceeds from the ticket sales will be earmarked for Diocese Catholic Schools Enhancement Grants. Schools apply for grants for a wide variety of projects, including tuition assistance, mental health awareness, continuing education for teachers, technology, and other areas. The raffle winner will have the opportunity to use their voucher at Canefla Chevrolet or Rick Collins Toyota dealerships, both of Sioux City. Tickets can be purchased online at scdioc.org slash raffle or by scanning a raffle flyer QR code, contacting the Catholic schools, or emailing the Stewardship and Development Office at lexah at scdiocese.org. Schools may also have raffle tickets available for purchase at school events during the sales period. The voucher winner will be responsible for all taxes, fees, title, registration, license, and insurance. Raffle ticket purchases are not tax deductible. Individuals 18 years of age and older are, as well as Iowa businesses are eligible to purchase the tickets. You are listening to the reading of the Sioux City Journal for Thursday, January 11th on IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind. We'll now turn to today's obituaries. Marilyn Niemeyer, 78, of Sioux City, passed away peacefully on December 29th at her home. A celebration of life will be held at 11 a.m. Saturday, January 27th at Waterbury Funeral Service of Sioux City at 4125 Orleans Avenue. A visitation will be one hour prior. 
Marilyn was born on May 4, 1945, to Tom and Martha DeBrun at home in Rock Valley, Iowa. She grew up in Rock Valley and attended Rock Valley High School. She worked for many years at Otis Radio in Canton, South Dakota. Marilyn DeBrun met Ed Niemeyer in Rock Valley. They married on June 12, 1972 in Sioux Falls. They first moved to Sioux City, then moved, lived on a farm near Egan, South Dakota, before moving back to Sioux City, settling and raising their family in Leeds. She worked in accounts payable, accounts receivable with Ed in their many trucking companies and other businesses. Retiring in 2005, she spent a lot of time as a caregiver to Ed until his passing. Marilyn and Ed had just celebrated their 51st anniversary earlier this year before he passed away. Marilyn enjoyed using her spare time going to auctions, collecting snowmen and gnomes, going out to eat with friends, having coffee, and visiting with her many friends. She was always the first to help a friend in need. She loved spending time with her family, especially her kids and grandchildren. Donald D. Parrott, 77, of Washita, passed away Tuesday morning, January 9th, at Mercy One Siouxland Medical Center in Sioux City with his family by his side. Funeral services will be held on Saturday, January 13th at 11 a.m. at the River Valley High School North Gymnasium in Correctionville. Visitation with the family present will be from Friday, January 12th from 4.30 to 7.30 at the North Gymnasium at River Valley High School. Pastor Barb Dinelli will officiate. Burial will be in the Sunset View Cemetery at Washita following the luncheon after the service on Saturday. The Boothby Funeral Home of Cherokee is assisting the family with arrangements. Marsha E. Woodford, 76, of Sergeant Bluff, passed away January 8th. A memorial service will be held 10.30 a.m. Saturday, January 13th with a visitation from 10 to 10.30 at Community United Methodist Church. Arrangements are under the direction of Waterbury Funeral Service of Sergeant Bluff. Maxell Spriggs, 88, of Kingsley, died Saturday, January 6th. Funeral services will be 11 a.m. Saturday and visitation at 9 a.m., both on January 13th at Road Funeral Home in Kingsley. Memorials may be directed to your favorite charity in Maxell's name. Diane Marie Langschwager, 69, of Correctionville, passed away January 2nd. Come and Go Celebration of Life will be from 2 to 4 p.m. Saturday, January 20th at the Correctionville Community Center at 312 Driftwood Street in Correctionville. Private burial will be at the Correctionville Cemetery. Fish Funeral Home and Monument of Remsen is in charge of arrangements. Cynthia A. Plendel, 82, of Lamars, passed away on Tuesday, January 9th at Floyd Valley Healthcare in Lamars. Mass of Christian Burial will take place at 2 p.m. on Friday, January 12th at All Saints Catholic Parish St. Joseph Church in Lamars. Father Doug Klein will celebrate Mass. Burial will follow at Calvary Cemetery in Lamars. Visitation will begin at 12 p.m. Friday at the church. The Maurer Johnson Funeral Home in Lamars is assisting Cynthia's family with arrangements. Expressions of sympathy may be directed through the Maurer Johnson Funeral Home website. A funeral mass for Bobette S. Brown, 62, of Bellevue, Nebraska, will be held at 11.30 a.m. Friday, January 12th at St. Matthew the Evangelist Catholic Church. 
in Bellevue. Visitation will be at 10 a.m. Friday with a vigil service at 10.30 a.m. at the church. Interment will be 9 a.m. Monday, January 15th at Omaha National Cemetery. Memorials may be made to the Sioux City Railroad Museum. Nellie Klingenpeel, 90, passed away at Eastwood Manor Nursing Home in Commerce, Oklahoma. Services will be at Armstrong Van Houten Funeral Home in Mapleton, Iowa, with burial at Belvedere Cemetery. Date and time to be finalized in the next few days. She was born in Kenneth, Monona County, Iowa, daughter of Robert and Nellie Wagner, and graduated from Castana High School in 1951. She was married to her husband, Leonard Klingenpeel, for 53 years until he passed away in 2004. They raised seven children on farms near Smithland and Mapleton, Iowa. They later moved to the town of Mapleton, where she lived for about 35 years before moving to Oklahoma and living with her daughter, Linda. Nellie was a patient and loving wife to Leonard. She volunteered extensively with Mapleton Food Pantry and Mapleton Legion Auxiliary, where she served as president and treasurer. She was a past member of the Red Hat Society and enjoyed traveling. Nellie had a surprising sharp sense of humor and loved to do puzzles. She loved to sing songs like Old Ship and Chocolate Ice Cream Cone. She loved the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. She had unyielding patience and never had an unkind word for anyone. She loved birds, particularly finches, and her cockatiel named Charlie, who she had for more than 15 years. Beverly Ann Montagne, 88, of Sioux City, passed away January 7th. Visitation with the family present will be from 5 to 7 p.m. Thursday, January 11th, with a prayer service at 7 p.m. at Meyer Brothers Morningside Chapel. Funeral service will be at 11 a.m. Friday, January 12th, at the funeral home. Deborah Lynn Daniel, 69, of Merrill, passed away on Saturday, January 6th, at Unity Point Health in Sioux City. Funeral services will take place at 10.30 a.m. on Friday, January 12th at the Maurer Johnson Funeral Home in Lamars. Pastor Janelle Norton of the Addaville Methodist Church will officiate. Burial will follow at Hillside Cemetery in Merrill. Visitation with the family present will begin at 9.30 a.m. on Friday at the funeral home. Joseph Anthony Young, 58, of Sioux City, passed away January 5th of natural causes. Per his wishes, cremation has taken place and there will be no services. Arrangements are under the direction of Waterbury Funeral Service of Sioux City. And that concludes obituaries for today. We'll continue with the other stories. Uh, Fire destroys rural Sergeant Bluff home. A fire that broke out Monday afternoon and flared up again overnight destroyed a rural Sergeant Bluff home. In addition to battling flames and smoke, firefighters from Sergeant Bluff and surrounding fire departments dealt with a storm packing heavy snow and winds that made travel to the rural location difficult for tanker trucks transporting water to the scene. Sergeant Bluff Fire Chief Anthony Gall said the weather certainly hampered efforts. Emergency personnel were paged at 1.32 p.m. to 2063 Glen Ellen Road. Gall said flames were visible through the windows and the roof when the firefighters arrived. The fire was extinguished and firefighters left the scene at 4.45. 
They were called back around 11 p.m. when the fire flared up significantly, Gall said, and remained there through much of the night. Woodbury County workers were called in to clear snow from roads leading to the house, and Sergeant Bluff Public Workers employees also cleared city streets and hydrants for tanker trucks transporting water to the site. Tankers made dozens of round trips to transport 60,000 gallons of water, a higher amount than what's typically needed to the scene during the afternoon and night. No one was home when the fire started, and the cause of the fire remains under investigation. The house is in un uninhabitable and is a total loss. Sheds and vehicles parked outside were not damaged. No firefighters were injured, but a dog died in the fire. Units from Bronson, Sioux City, North Sioux City, Lawton, Salix, and the 185th Air Refueling Wing assisted in one or both of the calls to the fire. Our next headline, Spirited Emotion to Underscore Wayne State College Trumpet Recital. Spirited Emotion underscores Michael Jen Slinger's faculty trumpet recital at 7.30 p.m. January 16th, that's next Tuesday, in the Peterson Fine Arts Building's Ramsey Theater at Wayne State College. The performance is free and open to the public and it will be also live-streamed. Jen, Jen Slinger will perform Concerto and D Major by George Philip Telemann, Prayer for Ukraine by Gregory Pascusi, which honors human suffering, while a hymn for the lost and the living by Eric Iwizen pays tribute to the anguish of 9-11. The concert closes with the excitement and color of Latin Jazz Suite by Alice Gomez with Brad Weber playing congas. Weber is in a adjunct instruction of percussion at Wayne State. And then next is National Civics Beat coming to Sioux City. The Siouxland Chamber of Commerce is joining other independent chambers of commerce from across the country to host a first-of-its-kind civics competition that encourages Americans to engage in the educational pursuit of civics and citizenship and contributing to their communities. Organized in partnership with the Civic Trust of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce Foundation, the 2024 National Civics Bee is open to middle school students from public, private, charter, and home schools in Iowa. The contest will be held in Sioux City for the very first time. Participating students are invited to take part in the first-round civics essay competition. A panel of local leaders will review and judge the 500-word essays, and the top 20 scoring students will be selected to move on to the next round of competition, which is a live quiz event to test their civics knowledge. The Siouxland Chamber of Commerce will host this event at 7 p.m. on March 4th at the Remax City Center at 712 4th Street. The finalists and top winners will receive various prizes, including $500 cash for the first-place students. Local winners will have the opportunity to compete statewide, and the state winner will compete nationwide. We are pleased to sponsor this event locally and enthused about this unique opportunity to help our young people learn more about the democratic process, representative government, and the importance of informed citizenship, said Siouxland Chamber of Commerce Executive Vice President Barbara Slonecker. For more information on the essay topic, the competition rules, and the prizes, and ways to submit essays, you can go to SiouxlandChamber.com. Moving on to the sports section, we'll have a story on the Sioux City Journal Athlete of the Week, which uh, this week is Sioux City North's Molly Sack. Wrestling has taught Molly Sack a lot about herself. The Sioux City High School senior said, Wrestling has helped me grow a lot as a person. 
Before finding wrestling, I was kind of struggling. I didn't know if I was going to go to college, but being able to wrestle, I've been able to get a few scholarship offers. It's opened a whole new door of possibilities for me. The way that I come off to individuals, I think I'm more kind now. I really love the sport and being part of the team and want to bring more people into it. We'll beat each up all, all day long on the mat, but be best friends the rest of the time. SEC, the Journal's Athlete of the Week, boasts a 23-0 record plus thus far in the 22-23 wrestling at 115 115 pounds and is ranked second by Iowa Wrestle and the Iowa Coaches and Officials Association. She's racked up first place finishes at Girls Missouri River Athletic Conference Meet and the Ridgeview Invitational. Of those matches, SEC has collected 16 pins, 6 buys or forfeits, and 1 medical forfeit. Lamar's Kira Hessenus is the only wrestler that has made it past the first period this season, with that match ending with a sec pin fall just past the three-minute mark of the match. Sec went 37-4 to last season and was runner-up to Riverside's Molly Allen at 115 at the first Iowa Girls High School Athletic Union State Tournament. During that season, she accumulated 32 bonus point victories. She said, wrestling at the state tournament exceeded my expectations. It was more than I ever thought, but I knew I was there to wrestle. When I got to the state championship match, my main goal was just to wrestle as much as I could. Her junior campaign also included being a conference and regional champ, as well as top finishes at the Ridgeview Invitational, Sergeant Bluff Luton Invitational, and the Bill Smith Battle in the Bluffs Girls Wrestling Tournament. She's brought some notoriety to our program, said North Boys and Girls head wrestling coach Trevor Case. She's a good leader, her technique has gotten way better, and she's developed better mat awareness. But she has a judo and karate background, so she really used those to her advantage. And when her match is done, she's the first one back over to the bench cheering on her teammates. Most times, she's still in her sing singlet cheering on whoever's up after her. As a sophomore, she went 8-3 with two of her losses coming at the IWCOA state tournament the season before the IGHSAU sanctioned girls wrestling. Girls wrestlers have had to face some criticism from people who don't think we should be wrestling and things like that, she said. But that kind of lit a fire in me to really exceed in the sport. I went against mostly boys my first two years at North, but it's all really fueled me because I think we've proven that we deserve our own sport. Watching it rise in popularity and becoming a part of the initial push to put girls wrestling on the map at the state and national level has been a thrill of SEC. We're sort of setting the precedent for what other girls will be able to do, said SEC. It's really exciting to be a part of untouched territory in a way. I like being part of the first group that gets to be able to do it. Wrestling adrenaline is not like anything else. I've done other sports. I've run track, been out for softball, basketball, soccer, but you just don't get the same rush you get like when you wrestle. And it's not like I'm just petrified and scared feeling, but more of what's she going to do better than me thought process. Sec has also been a leader within the school. Off the mat, she's great in the classroom, a near-perfect GPA, and is one of the leaders in the school, Case said. And she has not shied away from taking matters into her own hands. Case said she's gone to the administration and pushes for girls' athletics to be recognized at assemblies and things like that. 
especially in wrestling. Boys have historically gotten more attention, but her role there has been beneficial to all our female student-athletes at North. Sex emergence as a wrestler, her active role in growing it even more, and the sport's natural takeoff seems to have put the senior in the right place at the right time. Kay said, Molly's been one of the leaders getting our girls program going. I've been here for two years and got to see it be sanctioned last year. But before I got here, she was one of two girls that wrestled, and she's been instrumental in getting more girls to come out. Last season, we finished the season with nine. This year, we we came into the year with 14 out, and a lot of that has to do with her influence and trying to get middle schoolers involved. As for college, SEC is exploring a few different opportunities to wrestle, but has not committed anywhere just yet. She does, however, have a good handle on the academic side of it. I'm hoping to go into either law enforcement or business, she said. I'll go for the first two years and get my general education courses done and then make a decision. But right now, there's just too many options to pick from. I like being an example of what the sport can do for you as a person and the opportunities it can bring you. And then uh, our next story is the City Council approves the Explorer's nine-year lease of Lewis and Clark Park. The City, Sioux City Council uh, unanimously approved the Sioux City Explorer's nine-year lease of Lewis and Clark Park on Monday. Under the terms of the agreement, which includes a three-year extension option, the Explorers will pay the City $100,000 per year by May 1st to lease the ballpark. A portion of the yearly payment will be submitted to a separate fund for stadium repairs. The ball club requested a 12-year lease in its proposal. However, at a council meeting in November, Mayor Bob Scott suggested a nine-year lease. I think 12 years is too long. I'm going to move that we do a nine-year lease. You can go two, almost three councils before people would get a vote on it, Scott said at that time. There was little said before Monday's vote, other than Councilman Alex Waters thanking everyone involved for working through an agreement. The explorers will maintain and make repairs to the premises and will be responsible for making repairs to fixed assets up to $1,000 per occurrence. According to city documents, repairs being considered are operational repairs to equipment and buildings. Air conditioning and heating equipment will be furnished by, at the expense of the city and maintenance at the explorer's expense. The document stated that maintenance of units consists of annual inspections and minor repairs of up to $1,000 per occurrence. Major repairs above that limit and replacement of failed units will be the city's responsibility. The city will also continue to be responsible for capital improvement projects. The explorers will provide the city 400 complimentary single-game tickets per year as each year for each year of the lease as well as 400 complimentary tickets for two dates during each year of the lease to the current and any future field naming sponsor. With the excess current 10-year lease set to expire in April, the Sioux City Parks and Recreation Department put out a request for proposals for the city-owned stadium at 3400 Line Drive. In addition to the explorers who have played at the stadium since it opened in 1993, the Northwoods Leagues, a college wooden bat summer league, submitted a proposal to lease the park. A selection committee comprised of Nick Palomiato, OVG 360's general manager of the Orpheum and the Tyson Events Center, Joe Craig, a member of the Parks and Recreation Advisory Board, Dustin Cooper of the Sioux City Sports Commission, Ward France, director of sports tourism for Explore Sioux City, and Teresa Fitch, Sioux City Finance Director, met on September 15th and formally recommended the Explorer's proposal 
to be presented to the Parks and Recreation Advisory Board for consideration and approval. On September 27th, the Parks and Recreation Advisory Board unanimously voted in favor of the Selection Committee's recommendation. The day after the Advisory Board's vote, Craig told the Journal the monetary difference between the proposals was pretty big, and made, which made the decision easier. But he noted that everything looked great concerning the Northwoods League, and the Explorers have a proven track record. Then in October, the Council voted to authorize city staff to enter into negotiations with the Explorers to formulate a lease agreement. The move to open up the stadium lease came after the city and the explorers fought for months over the condition of the stadium seating. At one point, team owner John Woost, a local businessman, threatened to move the team elsewhere unless the city replaced all the seats, which he described as being in serious and poor condition. In June, the city council approved a $429,000 contract with the Sioux Falls gym equipment and bleacher dealer for 2,300 upper-level seats. Replacement of the upper-level seats is expected to be completed by May 1, 2024. The city previously replaced 770 seats in the stadium's lower bowl in time for the Explorers' first weekend set series of the 2023 season. And that does it now for today's reading of the Sioux City Journal for Thursday, January 11th. I'm Dagna, your reader. You can access a recording of today's reading on our website, iowaradioreading.org, at any time. And thank you for listening.
From the Bureau of Economic Geology, this is Earth Date. A decade ago, there were typically 20 earthquakes a year that were large enough to feel in the central and eastern U.S. But in 2015, there were over 1,000 of them. Why? It's mostly because we're pumping more water into the ground. The boom in U.S. oil and gas production over the last decade has brought many more oil wells, which also produce water. Most is naturally occurring in the formation, and some was injected by operators to allow or improve the recovery of oil and gas. In both cases, the water will likely have picked up salt and other minerals from the rock, making it many times saltier than seawater. Operators may re-inject this water to continue to liberate oil and gas, but more often, there's too much to handle. So it's trucked or piped to disposal wells where it's pumped down into deep saltwater reservoirs. Adding large volumes of wastewater increases the pressure in these rock formations, which can allow natural faults to slip more easily than they normally would, causing earthquakes. To address these quakes, regulators and the petroleum industry are monitoring disposal wells and shutting down those that could cause damaging seismic activity. And they now think that managing wastewater injection more carefully should help. There's still more work to be done, and university research centers, like the Bureau of Economic Geology, are conducting major studies with the aim of minimizing the risk of earthquakes while maintaining the benefits of domestic energy production. For Earth Date, I'm Scott Tinker. Earth Date is produced by the Bureau of Economic Geology at the University of Texas at Austin, with support from Schlumberger, helping oil and gas companies increase production and efficiency while lowering environmental impact. You can hear more EarthDate stories at earthdate.org.